0: You've been doing some Dostoevsky translations, some translations of his letters. So we're going to try to get this worked out with gifts. So um, why don't you tell us which letters you're translating, how you decide which you want to translate, if Russian is your native language, and um, anything else you want to say about the translations you're doing? All right, cool.
1: Hi. Um, uh, just to get it straight away done with Russian is my native language. Um, and the letters that I choose, I basically, I'm using a kind of a state authenticated spo- uh, source for the letters. So they have, um, I'm using a couple of different sources and there's in total about 900 of them. There's another 300 that are missing uh which people i don't know scholars are looking for i guess so i literally just sit down and go through each one until i find one that kind of speaks to me on the day and then uh, work on that um a lot of these letters are just uh, apologies for missing appointments or uh, requesting supplies from stores or there's I found at least like 30 where he sends a very short letter to some newspaper saying like, hey, you guys uh, didn't deliver these books that I ordered. So, yeah, the majority of the work, to be honest, is just sifting through all that extra stuff to find the really the good ones, so to speak. I, I also try to look for things that haven't been translated because I, I think there's around 40 to 50 letters that I'm aware of that have been translated to some extent. Some of them are visibly and obviously translated through Google. Uh, so they're pretty trash. Um, but yeah, the focus is on letters that haven't been translated yet. The, the first one that I did about his, um, the letter to his brother following the uh, mock execution, that one has been translated partially, but the rest, I believe, that are available currently from me, have not been translated yet.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and you mentioned that I think on your blog that it's a lot of them are sloppy, weird, bad translations, and you could tell that they were translated by Google Translate. So this is great. but well, this is cool that like um, you know everybody's doing a different thing, and they're in in this sphere trying to create something. Writers, podcasters, artists of different kinds, graphic designers. And we have a nice group of translators, people translating things from German, Russian. So it's great to see. I know guys are um, are translating things that have never been translated before. And uh, this is good. Like, you know, I'm not a Dostoevsky scholar. He's one of the most important writers to me ever. Probably actually the most important writer to me. But uh, I've never really read too much biographical uh, from him, so it's nice to get this little window into his uh, into his personal life. So, Gifts is listening. So I guess we'll start without her, and hopefully she'll get o- get beyond her technical problems here. Um, so we'll just get started, and that's that. So uh, one thing that I think me and Athenian are both... I mean, I'll let him speak for himself, but we chatted a bit before this space, and one thing we both seem to be finding is that like Dostoevsky and Nietzsche's uh, approach to nihilism isn't actually contradictory, I don't think. I thought it was. And I kind of worked this out in the last episode, But um, there is an idea out there that one will actually get you somewhere and one might only lead to your ruin or lead to disillusionment. Or maybe one way to put it is like if you choose the path of Nietzsche, you're eventually probably going to end up on Dostoevsky's path anyway. Um, And I think this distinction comes down to well it, it clearly the distinction is because Nietzsche's not religious, and dostoevsky is right? but at the same time, I tend to think perhaps Nietzsche is grappling with a much wider uh, broader sweep of a problem than dostoevsky is i what I mean is that i it I get the impression that dostoevsky's uh, advice, and I cringe using that word. I don't know what other word to use but Dostoevsky's uh prescription is for individuals but I don't think if I don't think his prescription can like save or change the course of history or society or culture uh I think Nietzsche has the better handle on uh, what hope the West has for the future. Um, And the reason, you know, part of the reason I say that is because something like 50 years after Dostoevsky was writing, uh, everything came down in ruin and the the Bolsheviks took over uh, and uh, religion was like underground and i th- that's not necessarily proof that he's wrong. it's not really what I'm saying rather I'm saying that I sometimes think dostoevsky's prescription is like a way to sort of uh uh hide under your desk when the nuclear blast goes off and uh maybe you'll survive but uh it's everything's going to be left in ruin now i want I want Athenian to come in and say clarify what he said to me earlier, which is like, he doesn't think they're opposed or I I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, except to say that, um, and this is reiterating something I said in the first space, uh, that Dostoevsky also kind of acknowledges that, uh, everything is going to go crazy and everything is going to go (laughs) insane, And uh, hope that he doesn't have too much hope for the future of society. And he's aware, perhaps maybe even the reason why his prescription is a personal one, is maybe because he's aware that society is in fact doomed. Um, And I can clarify those statements later. But Athenian, if you feel comfortable, um, not necessarily riffing off what I said, but explaining where you're at with that you know, juxtaposition that I'm laying out here.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I go out of my way to emphasize that, that there is uh, a pretty, pretty deep difference between, uh, between Nietzsche and Dostoevsky on nihilism. Um, it, it, the thing with Nietzsche is that, uh, I mean, he's simply atheistic. There's, there's, there's just no way around that. And from, from everything that I can tell about Nietzsche, is that his atheism stems from the his fundamental premise is that the conclusions of modern science uh, about uh, things like evolution, um, about the cosmos, uh, about all of these things are simply true and he doesn't really get into that very much. And that's, he doesn't really get into it very much because he, he takes them as true. His, his objective is to find a place for man within that, uh, teaching of the so-called what he calls them the deadly truths, which is to say there is no cardinal distinction between anything. Uh, fundamental flux through and through uh no distinction between organic and inorganic material as far as life is concerned um, and so that's going to be the extent the depth of his nihilism whereas let's see hold on it looks like i might be able to get gifts in here now um, whereas for dostoevsky i don't uh, he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to go that far his uh, dostoevsky's understanding of nihilism from, from what I've read from Dostoevsky, which again, I want to emphasize is not nearly as extensive as, as most of, most of you guys. Uh, But his understanding of it is much more that it is a, a kind of historical phenomenon uh, in the sense that it's just become a kind of belief. Now that's in Nietzsche. (laughs) We keep losing gifts, uh, the, it, it, it absolutely is in Nietzsche that nihilism is a historical phenomenon. However, uh, it is a historical phenomenon grounded in the very truth of being itself, which is to say there is no being, it's just fundamental becoming. Uh, I don't find that to be the case with Dostoevsky. Uh, and that's why Dostoevsky is still going to be able to uh, have access uh, to divine faith uh, in a way that he absolutely believes uh, in it. Uh, now, his Christianity is quite a bit orthodox, uh, unorthodox, uh, but he still has it. For Nietzsche, that's just simply not going to ever be the case. Yeah, that's that's well said. Now,
0: a book I enjoy and appreciate. It's not quite on the level as Nietzsche and Dostoevsky or any of the philosophers we talked talk about here is called In the Dust of This Planet by Eugene Thacker. And it's kind of a pop, you know, philosophy book. It's it's a book on nihilism and pessimism that uh, the, the show writer of the first two seasons of uh, True Detective based a lot of his pessimism on. Uh, so I read this book, and the other one is Conspiracy Against the Human Race, which is actually directly quoted by characters in... Uh, true detective, but it's not really, it's kind of relevant to this conversation, but it's a little too tangential. But what Athenian just said um, is is the key fundamental matter here. The fact that uh, Nietzsche knows that what science says is true. So his attempt to construct, uh, dare I call it a metaphysical system, in the face of that, Uh, is the great task Uh, i bring up in the dust of this planet because he uses the term um we have to we have to confront what he calls the world without us and the world that is not for us so part of our uh the way we interact with the world is as if it's for us as if things are here for us to um uh, for us to use or for us to interact with or for us to be a part of but if we consider, you know, very banal, very banal observations here, but there's nevertheless true that the climate and that uh, uh, food and um, natural disasters are often working against us to, um, to uh, you know, stymie our progress or just kill us, to put it bluntly. Um, we have to consider the fact that we persist despite nature or in the face of nature and that nature isn't actually here for us rather we uh, are here um we we figure out a way to overcome and persist in the face of that now so so that of course brings all sorts of fundamental questions in, into play about god uh and once science starts to figure out that these are all like mechanistic processes the more you figure that out the more you uh it, it kind of edges God out of the picture until you get to the point where, and this is in the introduction to the Antichrist, you get to the point where uh, religion is left in its final readout, which is, um, well, sure, God didn't create the world and God didn't make the world for us, and the, the bounty here is is clearly not for us because science disproves that. However, religion still needs to be uh, retained because it gives us a system of morals, Right, it gives us a more a system of morality that we need to use to, you know, order society around, and we need to use, put into practice in our daily lives. So, so that's the redeeming quality of of religion, and that is how I read Crime and Punishment. That is how I read Raskolnikov's uh, final revelation and his religious uh, his religious uh, epiphany at the end. I didn't read it that Raskolnikov like, discovered that religion was true or discovered that you know the Bible was true. I read it, and I'm going to read, read the passage later. I read it as Raskolnikov realizing that the breakdown he foresees in society, the nightmare that he has at the end, the vision for the future where everyone tears each other apart um, and cannibalizes one another... Is because of the breakdown of the system of morals, because uh, because atheism, nihilism, materialism creeps in, and the system of of morals breaks down. So Nietzsche understands this, and Nietzsche Nietzsche is the one who goes to work, and this is why it's called well, part of the reason why it's called philosophizing with a hammer, because I have Twilight of the Idols and Antichrist in the same book, and the subheading of of uh, Twilight of the Idols is philosophizing with a hammer. Nietzsche is going to go at the system of morals and he's going to dismantle that based on historicism, based on a study of history in the same way that the cosmos was dismantled by the scientists based on, you know, the study of physics. Uh, so that was the last great task. And the way Nietzsche goes about doing that is invaluating uh, the system of values. So uh, I guess I'm going to end this part of my, my uh, comments with a question to Athenian. Is he invaluating the values in the sense that he's inverting them and turning them on their head? Because that's how I read Zarathustra, especially in context of genealogy of morals. That Zarathustra is recommending you sort of flip morals back to the way they were before. The, the morality of the blonde beast and the slave morality or the morality of the priests, the, the, the blonde beast morality reigned for a time and the slave morality, the priests were underneath that. Uh, and then their morality kind of uh, superseded it and, and, and put, uh, you did this uh, going under space recently, it turned the, the morality of the people, it inverted it, it inverted, the morality of the the blonde beast to make them the subterraneans, and they could no longer like persist in the light of you know of society. They no longer have the favor of society in this system of morals. So when I read the word invaluating, it reads like he's saying to negate the values, but he doesn't really argue uh, to negate values. He seems to me to be arguing to invert the values and revert. To the relationship these two systems of morals had to each other, in an earlier time.
2: Yeah, I mean this this is the way that I would describe it. Is uh, first of all, uh, we need to be uh, aware of what we're what we mean when we're speaking of values, and fundamentally for Nietzsche, that means good and evil, and uh, his understanding of this the flux of becoming right, that there simply is no being right. Uh, And there most especially is no, uh, no overarching purpose uh, to the universe, no God, no anything like that. Uh, And what he finds with regard to uh, these conclusions of modern science about uh, fundamental becoming is that that's a boon for man right that's something to celebrate because that means that this fundamental becoming is purely innocent and so all of the things that have been said about it as far as being good or evil are just simply not true Uh, this is the advice zarathustra gives to the dying tightrope walker he says these things simply don't exist my man uh and so what he has in mind with this revaluation of all values is that now man is free. Now man has a, a, a a kind of freedom that he's never known before. And what that freedom consists in is assigning new meaning to these things, good and evil. Uh, and so that's going to be, uh, his project, uh, for mankind going forward. And of course, uh, as it arises in in, uh, Zarathustra, it's going to be this overman uh, who is, that is the the new good going forward. Uh, That is going to be the thing to esteem, uh, the purposeness to which mankind strives. Um, Now, whether that remains the case is something different. I mean, because it's, uh, we have to pay very close attention to what happens in Zarathustra but the the objective nonetheless remains the same uh is that these things previously known as good and evil have held man back uh in such a way that Nietzsche claims that we don't even know what man is uh because he's he has such great unlimited potential uh, and so what's needed going forward, he says, is uh, hundreds of years, possibly a thousand years of dangerous experiments, he calls them. Uh, and those dangerous experiments are precisely to find out what might be the best new good and new evil. And so those are going to be uh, the that constitutes this project of the revaluation of all uh all values heretofore Um, I hate using that word that sounds so academic Uh, but all previous all previous values of good and evil all things said to be good and evil uh, they that's what these dangerous experiments constitute uh, going forward for Nietzsche And, and of course by the way by the way that that includes experimentation with new gods uh, Nietzsche himself experiments with new gods, but it seems like he abandons that rather quickly, or just doesn't really even know what what to really make of it with this experimentation of the new gods, of like, for instance, Dionysus and Zarathustra, uh, these kinds of things. So, so there's that as well.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so the task then is to 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 come up with this new system in the face of knowing that the world is indifferent to our existence right and knowing that the the there's no inherent purpose to existence it's not it's not for us like i said um so go ahead yeah i'm getting a little distracted we're having such technical difficulties i'm going to try to figure these out go ahead at
2: Yeah. I just wanted to point out also, uh, and this is what I was covering in a, a a brief space I did today, uh, for disgraced, uh, propagandists is that, um, it's important to understand that this is not Nietzsche himself. Doesn't even expect this to be the teaching that everyone walks away from for him. Uh, he's perfectly clear that, um, and this is the great test for his teaching of the eternal return of the same is that the herd will always be with us, right? These, uh, the rabble, uh, the, the herd or the, the people who are always on the doorstep of the last man, uh, which is to say that, um, in, in the terminology, for instance, of the genealogy of of, of, morals or morality, uh, what that means is that masters, can only exist if slaves themselves also exist. And that's, and, and that's not to say like, you know, slaves that do your work or anything, but that's just the slavish mentality. Uh, so there's always going to be this large element to mankind that's simply uneducable. Um, and for, for Nietzsche, that's good, right? Uh, that's a representation of the rank ordering of things, and so the question then becomes, what does that say about the diffusion of Nietzsche's teaching uh, into the city, right, uh, at large? And I think what that means is that, uh, and it's perfectly clear in Zarathustra, by the way, that Nietzsche himself knows that his teaching is going to be misunderstood by morons. Um, and he's, he's, he's fine with that, too, by the way, uh, because uh, he needs... Uh, the kind of foot soldiers, I guess, that are going to uh, tear down the sacred truths that already exist. Um, But then, of course, the the very, very great danger to that is what if those morons who have taken on Nietzsche's teaching uh, tear down everything in such an extent that they themselves are effectively last man uh, and there's nothing left, right? Uh, That's part of the very, very serious deadly serious understanding of the experimental nature of this overman, uh, because Nietzsche in many respects was just too good uh, at having this rhetoric to inspire sort of young people or whatnot, uh, to tear everything down, uh, to misunderstand everything, to think themselves that they are the overman, uh, to to deeply, deeply vulgarize, uh, the various virtues that Nietzsche's Zarathustra in fact demonstrates, which is to say a kind of prudence, uh, and these sorts of things. Um, so that has to be brought into to the equation. And, and so that's, it's, it, it's, it's clear that there is not a, uh, fine distinction between masters and slave. This is a, as he says, uh, uh, uh it's a it's a ladder of spiritual cruelty really is what he refers to it for instance uh in uh, beyond good and evil um and so that that needs to be taken into consideration now it this is to say we have to be careful here now is this do i mean that he that Nietzsche has an esoteric teaching versus an exoteric teaching i mean he says as much in beyond good and evil but what he But he has a new understanding of esoteric, esoteric as opposed to the previous tradition. Um, I, I think he simply knows that in our day and age, uh, this is why Zarathustra radically attacks the Scribblers, is that his writings will in fact become very, very common. Uh, everyone's going to encounter them. Uh, morons are going to misunderstand him and just do what he calls the work of the annihilators, right? The annihilators that just have to tear everything down. Uh, and then basically it seems like he, he crosses his finger and says uh, and then we can hope uh, that an overman at some point can take control of this situation. <laughs> uh, and that, that, that right there gets to the core of how again deadly serious nietzsche was when he says that he's dynamite that he's tnt uh and that's also why there's uh so much reserve among uh academics and whatnot to to even be associated with nietzsche but but that also comes in for different reasons too because they themselves the academics are the last men uh that that don't want to see this happen but all of these things are at play right all of these things are at play and so when I come across people who are absolute uh, morons with regard to Nietzsche, uh, it's not something to get upset about. It's to say, well, he expected this. This was going to happen. Uh, Nietzsche himself is explicit on many occasions that he's a teacher of slow reading. Uh, how many people that self-profess or identify with Nietzsche have even read Nietzsche? Uh, and so that's, that's again, all part of this dangerous uh, situation that we're in, that Nietzsche is emphatic about being a- an accelerationist. Uh, he says very clearly on a number of occasions, uh, we have to speed things up. We've got to plow right through the only way out is through. Uh, and what he means by that is, uh, if he were confronted today, uh, with how bad things have progressed, he would not be surprised. And he would simply say, good, uh, let Biden have the reins, let the left have the reins, let them, they're going to bring the whole damn system down. So let them, uh, it needs to fail. Uh, it needs to be brought down. Uh, and again, that's another reason why so many of like, you know, the, the more, what people would refer to as civil people, right? They have such a distaste for him, uh, because they still believe in a kind of, uh, ability to pull back from the breach. Uh, but the fact is, uh, how do you pull back from the breach when you're already over the ledge, uh, in a free fall? Um, now uh, again, though, this is, this is hinges upon very subtle interpretations, uh, of what he has to say, but that's, that's just to emphasize on my end, all of the great danger that Nietzsche himself understood was involved in his teaching of, uh, the world as we know it, this phenomenon of nihilism, uh, that's the problem with nihilism. Uh, and that's what makes it so extremely complicated. Uh, and so that's more of a reason when you see these tweets about people just trashing nihilism, you can just casually pass them by and say, this person's a fool. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Nihilism is extremely complicated. It's extremely involved. Uh, and most especially the people who think that they're not, uh, already infected by nihilism are themselves, uh, morons, uh, because everyone is, uh, is infected with nihilism. We we were born into it, for God's sake. It's we were raised on the kind of television of nihilism and all this stuff. Uh, so all of that is all of that is uh, going on here. So just wanted to emphasize all of that because it really highlights uh, very very important ways in which Nietzsche is in fact uh, dynamite, which is to say very very dangerous uh, for a number. Well, of reasons.
0: this 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 makes it immediately clear why. Nietzsche is juxtaposed with Dostoevsky because this this nihilism is a very specific thing that I contend only arises as a result of a certain uh state of affairs in epistemology not to sound you know too too bloviating here but um a, a certain state of affairs in uh rationalism the way that people uh the, the well the greek enlightenment and and the european enlightenment can can broadly be thought of together because the the system of rationalism was used to sort of like get at the nature of things and uh it's like once you sort of uh figure the world out in this way through this process through this you know socratic method the dialectic that they use or uh, the scientific method that was created by the scientific revolution, you get to the point uh, where you see that like (laughs) we are alone in the world or we are alone in the cosmos or it is. And people argue that this is like a a perspective and that it's like not true or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, And Dostoevsky is saying like that you can't, you can't, rely on this mode of thought because it's going to lead you to that conclusion and that you basically have to revert to, to faith. And here's the problem I have. Like my argument has been, you can't revert to a naive faith. Like once this has all been figured out and worked out, my contention was that you can't like go back to not believing it. You can't exist in a state in which none of that is the case. You know what I mean? Um, You can't like disprove certain fundamentals of science uh, in such a way that you prove the existence of God. I mean, it's it's futile in certain ways, especially especially if your conception of God is based on the assertions made by organized religion, Uh, because organized religion does assert that like God created everything in a specific way and that the system of morals was spoken to us, given to us by God himself on earth, you know? Um, so once you like figure out that that's not true, you can't unfigure that out. So Dostoevsky is grappling with exactly that. But his argument or his, you know, in his books anyway, is that that's exactly what you need to do. You do need to read gain somehow, that sincere, naive faith. Whereas Nietzsche, on the other hand, basically says you need to like bolster yourself in the face of this nihilism. You need to uh, basically use uh, your will to overcome the nihilism that it it instills in you and in society and in in everyone in the age, right? Um, So when I read Crime and Punishment, Hang on. I'm going to bring Eleven in. Eleven, go ahead. Because when I read Crime and Punishment, um, I read it cynically and I thought Dostoevsky meant it cynically. But then when I read the letter that Eleven translated, Dostoevsky's letter to his brother, um, I started to think more about Dostoevsky's biography. And I started to think more about how his personal experience has like affected his relationship to God and to the world and to religion. And this letter, he, you know, Dostoevsky was like tied to a post and about to be shot. They, they, there was a bunch of, well, he, there was a bunch of people who were lined up and then him and like three other guys were standing there and they were going to shoot the first group of guys. And then it was going to be his turn. So he believed he was dead. And a guy came on a horse, a horse drawn buggy carrying a letter and, And the the Tsar commuted their sentence at the last minute, and he ended up doing 10 years hard time and got put in the military. And he ended up in Siberia. So um, the argument is, I don't think this has ever been proven. But the contention is that the Tsar did it on purpose like this to kind of reassert his his power Um, and to show, like, this is what happens to rebels. And in the letter... Dostoevsky talks about how like, he's never again going to take another moment of his life for granted. Like he had before that experience. And I kind of, it kind of dawned on me that Dostoevsky actually experienced the very thing that I was saying is impossible. Like, like he actually experienced that. That was his, that was his life and that his religious revelation came later. Uh, So then I've been rethinking Dostoevsky's, um, you know, I've been rethinking Alyosha and Crime and Punishment in light of uh, this new perspective that I have that Dostoevsky wholeheartedly believed that you can regain this naive faith and you can embrace life. And this is the last thing I'll say, because Thacker in In the Dust of This Planet talks about like the desire in nihilism the desire for people to like regain some sort of like religious faith or some rapturous religious feeling and he calls it mysticism and at the end of the book he says like what mysticism is is like a diffusion of the separation between self and world and you sort of uh you sort of like dissociate like from your ego into the world and you become like one with everything and that's what a religious cosmology does for people it integrates you into the hierarchy of being which like once you've stepped out of that right through nihilism and you've understood the mechanistic understanding of the world you're like permanently removed and you can't like put yourself back into it and a true pessimist and as eugene thacker asserts himself to be he says that like the the best we can do in the dust of this planet is to have ourselves like attempt to like to like dissolve the disjunction between our mind and the world and the world just continuously recedes like as we're doing it so the process of going through nihilism is this like continuous like Receding of the world as you're trying to like, you know, diffuse your ego like back into like the 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 ontology of all things, the cosmology of this religious world view. Now, I want Eleven to come in now and, and comment on that. But Athenian said something about um, Nietzsche having like an esoteric teaching. Um, Athenian, maybe bookmark that comment because I don't know if he does. However, when I when I think of Thacker saying like the best we can do in this attempt, like the only way out of nihilism is through nihilism. So the only way to like rejoin ourselves with the, with the, with the, with the world is for the world to continuously recede. Like maybe it's like an understanding that like, that's the best we can do. I have a lot more to say about it, but 11 has had his hand up.
1: All right. So I'll address several points that you brought up. Um, First of all, the, the part you said about the Tsar kind of wanting to show the rebels uh, what happens to those that rebel. I, I've read some scholars and I've seen quite a bit of information on this. And uh, you, you have to consider also that uh, Dostoevsky was already enjoying a very high level of fame in Russia by the point that he was taken to, well, at the point when he was arrested. Um, he when he published his first book at the age of 24 he pretty much ballooned overnight to fame they, I mean they were saying that he's like the next uh, Nikolai Gogol you know uh, like, quite like uh, Yukio Mishima who also at the age of 24 ballooned in fame with his uh, Confessions of a Mask and I bring up Yukio Mishima because uh, as I'm sure many people here know due to the fact that he ballooned in fame and a lot of people uh, enjoyed his books and to some extent, his politics, he gained a kind of like a closed eye benefit to what he was doing. And uh, there's quite a few scholars that believe that the same thing occurred with Dostoevsky. The reason that that whole group of people was pardoned was due to the fact that Dostoevsky, first of all, wasn't the only aspiring writer, let's say, a successful writer or, a, I guess we can say celebrity in that group. So um, it, it, basically, he was, uh, there was a lot of people who were sympathizing with him, uh, even in the courts, which is strange because he was arrested in the first place for conspiring against them. And the second point is, um, you, there's, there's a big disconnect between the West and Russia in terms of sources. For example, I'll just I'll make a uh, most basic example is if you look at Dostoevsky's Wikipedia page, you'll see there's about two hundred references, whereas the Russian page has double that plus many, many subpages with like hundreds of references in them as well. So uh, uh, a lot of non non-Russian speakers are missing quite big chunks of context for a lot of things. And in terms of his philosophy, and in terms of his approach to nihilism, and kind of like using his faith as a tool to beat it, uh, if you if you look at his letters, which you know they'll be coming, you you'll get to see that more and more. Um, mm-hmm. he, the, the faith kind of remains as the it, it, it remains as the final destination. It's not necessarily a tool that you use along the way. I'll I'll elaborate on. I have some notes here on uh, how his philosophy developed over his life. We can get into that a bit later. And uh, you, you'll see clearly that the, kind of the final destination is the faith. It's it's not the tool that he uses because in his letters he distinctly, he just does not mention it uh, for the majority of his life kind of as he's summarizing his philosophy over his life. He mentions faith in passing, you know, you should believe in Christ, uh, this and that. But in terms of dealing with these uh, nihilistic feelings, the, the faith is the goal. The faith is is not the tool. You, he believed that you have to beat your nihilism. He personally believed I mean, his, his books show a little bit different. But in his personal letters, he believed that you have to beat your nihilism in order to enjoy your faith.
0: Yeah, well, I have a response, but I, I want Athenian to uh, go ahead and respond. Thank you for that.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, as far as the, the the very topic of nihilism goes, though, uh, one, one has to understand, um, and I, I don't know how this plays itself out in Dostoevsky, but at least in my field of research, the the most important thing to understand about this is how modern science itself has premises. Very, very important premises, and within those premises, could very well reside the fact that their conclusions about things like God, for instance, they're just they're just inadequate. Uh, they don't that they, they couldn't answer questions of God if they wanted to, and so that that speaks to a kind of understanding of nihilism that could itself simply be historical uh modern science is extremely persuasive in its ability to predict things but one has to ask oneself is it even the case that modern science with the premises that it makes is is capable or competent of answering questions about final cause um and so these things always need to be taken into consideration because uh for example, when people say the only way out of nihilism is through it, right, which is to say, you know, embrace it and then find some kind of way through it, uh, it, it might simply be that people have just been misled into believing that nihilism is in fact true when it might not even be the case. Um, that's why, and the most important element of this is when you have people using science to justify their faith right saying you know archaeology says this or you'll have some molecular biologist write a book that says you know uh, he won a nobel prize and he says you know i'm telling you there's there's room for god in this uh or you know then you'll have all the new atheists which are really just a bunch of the old atheists uh writing books saying you know science makes it clear i mean look at that who's that dumbass who says you know I, i looked through his telescope and i couldn't find god uh, that that reveals the, the the kind of blind spots that, that exist there. And so I just want to make sure that everyone at least listening is, is aware that that alternative is a very, very fruitful field of philosophy that is often uh, discarded altogether because people are so convinced that nihilism simply is true, uh, that they don't listen to the people who have spent, you know, I mean, the the research on the early moderns and the way in which they were able to simply not argue against God, but to laugh God right out of the room uh, has been so persuasive uh, that that in itself, because we have to remember, uh, classical liberalism couldn't even get off the ground uh, without people like Hobbes, Locke, Spinoza, um, all of these people writing enormous amounts of just laughable biblical criticism within their, within their masterpieces, right? This is literally within their masterpieces, like the Leviathan, uh, two treatises of government uh, with Spinoza, it'd be the theological political Tractatus. So all of these things remain. Um, and so that, that keeps, that keeps the, the possibility that, that a lot of this might have other venues of approach and so i just i always want to make sure i'm on record of saying that because um it, it there there are alternatives here uh now i know that's not the, the topic of this space with nietzsche and dostoevsky although i would say that in a reading of uh the brothers karamazov it seems to be the case that dostoevsky was aware of these possibilities Uh, To what extent he's aware of them, it's not ultimately clear, but uh, unlike Nietzsche, he doesn't begin with the premises that, uh, or at least it doesn't seem to me at least, that he begins with the premises that modern science is in fact to be the adjudicator of this thing we call nihilism, because it's very, very dangerous when we rely upon so-called scientific experts to be the adjudicators in the most important fundamental questions. Uh, it goes without saying that people like Dr. Fauci have always existed. Uh, these kind of morons, uh, absolute morons, uh, and they more than often uh, have access to grind one way or the other uh, with absolutely no knowledge of the background in philosophy or the great books or anything like that. So I, just, I want to make sure I'm on record as that because a number of my friends who themselves are extremely pious and they just don't give credence whatsoever to nihilism, is precisely because they are aware uh, of the kinds of uh, problems that arise when one relies upon these uh, scientific experts and things like that. Someone like a Laplace, uh, who can literally tell uh, Napoleon, uh, "I didn't have, I didn't need the hypothesis of God, or something like that." Uh, so just want to throw that out there because I want to make sure for anyone that's listening that uh, we, we are aware of uh, the other avenues uh, available and things like that to us in these. Well, in these
0: but religious people aren't really even part of the conversation, though, because religious people who are not like lost in nihilism, uh, but they are like in a holdover in in this society in western civilization the society itself is defined by nihilism and by by the scientific rationalistic worldview and the point i was trying to make before is that like uh, bringing up brothers Karmazov is perfect because ivan is an example of someone who like rationalizes away the existence of god and then he ends up having this like split in his mind where he's like you know he's talking to the devil at the end he's going insane and he ends up like a, a completely neurotic invalid just like raskolnikov was after he committed the murder and the question is okay is uh, is 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 ivan really being visited by the devil or is he like having a conversation with himself is his, is he becoming schizophrenic as a result of his nihilism so um you know th- th- those two characters, Raskolnikov and uh, Ivan, and to some extent the Underground Man, but he's a little bit different, so I'm not really bringing him in. Are uh, Dostoevsky showing you the, the dead end of rationalizing away uh, God and, ra- and 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 coming up with a system of morals? based on rationalism, because Raskolnikov rationalizes himself into that crime, of course, right? Uh, But it breaks him anyway. Now, I, I want to make it very, very clear that what I said before about how this, like, in a nihilistic age, this desire for communion with God, this desire for a rapturous experience, it is the desire to have an immediacy with the world around you, right? And it's a desire to feel a a part of a whole. And it's a desire to kind of like break away the dross of your mind, of your knowledge that is like separating you from other people and from the world and from God. This is exactly what Nietzsche is addressing. And this is exactly what Nietzsche is saying like the blonde beasts had they had this immediacy of experience and it wasn't mediated by what freud would call the superego. it wasn't mediated by the voice in your head that's like rationalizing everything you just acted upon your instincts right uh and he's saying that the world is not set up in such a way that you can act like that anymore you have to like go through the the modes of of being and and being you know interpersonal relationships That's why he says like liberal institutions are institutions to limit freedom. They are not freedom granting institutions. They're taking away uh, your freedom to do these things, to to act with immediacy and to act on your instincts, uh, because those things bring you in conflict with others. And of course, like acting superior to somebody or gaining superior superiority over another person is one of the things that, like, liberal institutions, which were created in our society by the rationalistic picture, you know, handed down by the Enlightenment, right, this system of morals that these people constructed, it's an attempt to, like, level everyone. And that's the problem that Nietzsche has with it. And that's what turns people into the herd, into members of the herd. So this overcoming, Right. The overcoming that Nietzsche talks about is the overcoming of being one of the herd. It's overcoming being brought low by these institutions and being brought low by the society that was constructed literally by the rationalism uh, that led directly to um, nihilism and directly directly to this state. So the last men. Right. Are people who like like liberal society, right? If you go along and you play the game, uh, it hands you these little like handouts. And last men are the people who stupidly happily lap up whatever the handouts are that they that they give you. And it could be an abstract thing like security, or it could be a concrete thing like material wealth or material comfort, uh, m- material like I said, security. Uh, but in an age like ours. It's more and more absurd things like from video games to like chopping your dick off or or, 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 or having butt sex. You know, like these are the things you're supposed to get excited about now. And it just gets more and more absurd as time goes by. Uh, and as you like devolve deeper and deeper into being a last man, right, the farther away you get from your true self or your true essence. And the more cut off you are from other people, the more cut off you are from God, the more cut off you are from nature. Uh, And I saw two hands go up, so I'm going to save further comments, but I have further comments about how uh, the problem is, and I'll I'll leave my comments at, at this food for thought for a moment. The problem is, is if you follow Nietzsche and you do this overcoming through the 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 sheer force of will to power and you um you take his prescription to to become a blonde beast or an ubermensch right and then you achieve it what do you do then like once you achieve it do you like persist in this like rapturous state of like being the ubermensch do you persist in this rapturous state of overcoming uh or do you stand in the light just for a moment and then fade um, and 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 you have to remember this conversation is not just about individuals by any stretch of the imagination, at all. It's about civilization. It's about society. It's about Western culture. So again, someone like me or Athenian or Eleven could 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 uh, reach this overcoming, and w- 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 either way, either through Dostoevsky, through faith, or through Nietzsche. But that's just a personal thing. The question is, like, will it save civilization? Uh, but I'm going to let Eleven go first, because I think his hand shot up right before Athenians and then Athenian go. No, it was
1: Athenian first, so Athenian, off you go. You go first and
2: I'll go. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's very, yeah, it's, it's very, very important to understand what Nietzsche means by the last man. And this is something that uh, I, I brought up. And one of the spaces that I did, uh, one of my reading spaces on Zarathustra is of all the things, uh, uh, very often people use this word last man, etc., cetera, um, without really going to the text and saying, what does Nietzsche himself mean by the last man? And he's very, very specific. Uh, there's two points. One is that right before he has to introduce the last man, Uh, He's introduced the engine that serves as uh, the driving force for becoming the overman, right? Because the overman speech is going to fail. But he says very specifically that the engine for the overman uh, should be ground in this moment, your hour of greatest contempt. And he says very specifically that that hour of greatest contempt has to be linked to your pathetic comfort. So it's pathetic comfort of modern man that is absolutely at the source of what the overman, uh, the precondition for the overman. Then what happens uh, is that no one understands. They say uh, enough of this overman, right? (laughs) Uh, And then what he tries to do by way of the speech of the last man is he's trying to induce in them that moment of greatest contempt uh, and he says, there's one thing that a modern man is most proud of, uh, and that's what I'm going to use to shame them. And it's that one thing, that only one thing that he identifies as most definitive of the last man, and that's uh, education. His education is what most defines the last man and his, his pride. And so that's going to be key. Now, I, I do need to double-check the German. I'm pretty sure it's Bildung. Uh, so one could say that might be culture or education. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, those are one could say that those are the same after Kant. Uh, so, uh, so that's what he has in mind. Uh, so, so, so that's going to be important to keep in mind uh, with regard to the, the last man and what the overman is there to, to get Yeah, back. and that,
0: that's exactly what I was saying about the system of thought. Or the system of epistemology the the ways of knowing um, that is instilled through a liberal education I mean that is how these these thought uh, processes these thought systems get into people's heads is by going and, and getting a liberal education so then they come out as these last men and uh, you know part of it sounds so like uh, uh overused to say but like part of growing up is like unlearning some of the shit you learned in in college um especially especially like the social sciences and shit uh but 11 uh, i wanted to, you to come in as well
1: uh yeah you mentioned the will and uh the coming so i thought i would but I'd, I'd fit in i fit it in here while i can um I was looking at uh, Dostoevsky's letters and some scholars, and uh, Dostoevsky has his own ideas of what the will is. And uh, I, I don't know if people know this, but he also came to this idea of the Ubermensch. Uh, it directly translates to the highest type, the highest type of person, but he just refers to them as the highest type in uh, quite many of his letters actually. And um, he, he refers to the will as uh, the, the Russian word uh, it translates to self-will. and he kind of describes it in uh, in um, similar to the Schopenhauerian will except, except it's it's a negative thing. That he believes that this will that every human has that it, it, it just wants it, he directly says it just wants to do whatever it wants to do and he he believes that to become and to maintain it you you have to go into this kind of bottomless pit of of despair and there you will find this will this negative will you have to you have to face this energy that uh, makes you just you know want to play video games or whatever um, he doesn't believe in freedom because of the cedar he says it directly uh, a few years before he died he said i, I don't believe in freedom because uh, people believe that what, what people call freedom is just allowing this self-will, as he says, uh, to run rampant and do whatever it wants to do. And, and he believes that the human doesn't want to do those things. It's the will that wills people to do it. Uh, and so for him, as he describes it, you kind of fight with this will. And then you go through the transformation and the struggle of this transformation to become the highest type. Or Nietzsche's Ubermensch is is the continuous journey of kind of climbing up the rope of the the struggle and the transformation. So and and then at the end, once you eventually climb out, you get to experience God. You get to thank him for the struggle, and then it kind of repeats again. So because you were asking if it happens for a single moment or it continues, uh, for him it's like a recurring, constant transformation, like cocoon to butterfly, cocoon to butterfly. This kind okay, of th- process these are great
0: contributions thank you for this the question i have is like how does he does he address how you renew it or does he address how like if you go from cocoon to butterfly does he address how um if you start to lose it how to get it back Uh,
1: no he doesn't that's very unfortunate i think he probably would have if he hadn't died it is very unfortunate that he died before he could do everything that he wanted to do because he did get also uh, there was quite a lot of interesting political movements uh, that he was getting involved with uh, right before he died but anyway he no he doesn't particularly say he talks a lot about the the condition of this highest type uh, about the unhappiness that comes with being the highest type about uh, you know crime and punishment is. Uh, uh, he said that uh, it is it, it, he Likes to think of it as an example of what happens to a person that has potential to be high, the highest type but goes off onto a wrong path. Uh, but no, unfortunately, there's not much to how to keep it, how to keep it going. I think there would have been if he hadn't died. Yeah, this didn't.
0: is very interesting. Now, this isn't in any of his novels. Do you, Do you know anything about? He was going to write a sequel to Brothers Karamazov, and Alyosha was going to go to America, right, and become like going to like lose his faith or or at least he was going to become a man of the world do you know anything about this uh,
1: I've, I've heard something I've, I've heard that a couple of times online in the random spheres but i to be honest with you i've never looked into that uh, uh the thing about dostoevsky is that um he he has this pattern of um he has this pattern of uh, getting ideas and not executing them uh, he uh, his first biographer this um, miller uh gets pronounced miller in english uh, he says that he goes in depth about it and, and he says that um dostoevsky is pretty much plagued by constant ideas that he abandons so uh quite a few people in his life i would assume they you know they, whatever he would say they wouldn't take it too seriously because it's you know just <laughs> dostoevsky being dostoevsky yeah, i'm gonna write this i'm gonna do that but you know nothing
0: comes well i've it. read uh and you know think about this in context with what 11 saying i've read that like and and actually there's allusions to this in um in the brothers karmes i think dimitri goes to america if i remember correctly I think Alyosha mentions like he wants to see the world. He's talking about wanting to see the world. Um, And there's this really good obscure random book that nobody reads that someone gave to me and I'll look up the name of it. I forgot what it was, but the guy who wrote it wrote about several sort of obscure, at least obscure in the West, Russian thinkers, philosophers, uh, religious men. I think he writes about the monk that, uh, Dostoevsky hung out with who inspired uh, one of the monks in the Brothers Karamazov. Anyway, this guy um, talks about how, but I don't remember what he was referencing. If it was a letter or something, uh, I'll look the book up when I when 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 Athenian goes. But uh, he says that Dostoevsky said what he wanted to do for the second one was to have Alyosha go to America and uh, become more of a worldly person and sort of like fall away from the faith and get 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 involved in the world and kind of be, become fallen to some extent i don't know how far he was going to have him fall uh and then of course you know rejuvenate and re his faith um it would have been it would have been a wonderful book to read and it's nice to think that that's what he was planning even if even if it wasn't uh go ahead athenian
2: <laughs> So i'm going to try not to laugh um I know a guy, I think he's passed away now, but he was a professor of philosophy and he had originally started off in seminary, uh lost his faith, uh and then pursued his PhD in philosophy and taught uh for many many years and he was so uh obsessed with Dostoevsky that he himself wrote the follow-up novel. Uh and <laughs> I have it here somewhere or I might've lost it. I'm not sure. I've got to get a hold of it. Uh, but it was called Russian blood, uh, American soil, or, or it, it was either that, or it was Russian blood, Texas soil, uh, because he was from Texas. Uh, and it was, so every course he ever taught, uh, he taught a course on 19th century philosophy and, Every it didn't matter what the course was; it was always teaching from his book that he wrote as the sequel uh, to *Karamazov*, and I absolutely have to find a copy. It it might almost be impossible because he was a he was a, sort of an unheard of kind of guy, uh, and I think it was self published. But it was very very long. I mean, he it was two volumes, uh, but but I, oh god, I have to find that. Uh, and just sort of uh, as a, a just as a tangential note here, this is something I'm sure Eleven is aware of. Uh, but I pinned up there in the nest, um, exactly like what Eleven was saying, is that Dostoevsky, like many great thinkers, they're plagued with these great ideas that they just don't have time to follow up on, or they uh, they they like to entertain how it could how it could be if they had time to do it. Uh, but at one point, Dostoevsky was writing an introduction to. Uh, the grand inquisitor um, and in a letter, and I, I have the the reference to the letter at the bottom of that thread, he, he explains what it is. Um, and the whole point is that once Christianity is meant to bring things into the, once Christianity is made to be, as we would say at home in this world, uh, you've fundamentally corrupted it. Um, and that, speaks to what he was really apparently trying to get at with uh, with Ivan uh, and the tale of the Grand Inquisitor. But I I want to emphasize, though, this is just from this is just from one letter. uh, And you always have to be careful when you're uh, going through uh, things like that, because it's very possible if you're not an expert. Right. uh, It's very possible he wrote other letters where he trashed this very idea and said I was wrong or something. Uh, But it's just something to keep in mind. Um, so, so just wanted to, uh, wanted to add but are
0: you, uh, first of all, that's hilarious, but, uh, are you able to elaborate on what you mean about Ivan and the, the grand inquisitor?
2: Yeah, I'll just read it. Let me pull it up here real quick. Um, he says, he says about, he says about the grand inquisitor. He says the fundamental thought is he, that caricatures Christianity, the moment he brings it into harmony with the goals of this world. And i, I that's a typo. It should be annuls, not annuals. Uh, it annuls the entire purpose of Christendom and must, without any question, drive toward absolute disbelief. A second tower of Babel stands in the place of the high ideals created by Christ. The sublime Christian view of human nature sinks down to the view of an animal herd and under the banner of social love, uh, shows entirely unconcealed its contempt for mankind itself. Uh, that should be mandatory reading from every pulpit uh, or every lectern uh, in every single Christian church in the world right now, uh, because I think it very, very clear that were Dostoevsky to ever walk into a church and see a trans flag, uh he would probably not just rip it down uh he would light it up uh and not care if the church itself burned down to the ground as a result of lighting the the flag up uh because that's that's very very uh, telling that's a very telling statement right there of what he's saying let's
0: go right ahead 11 you uh you don't have to yeah. put your hand up
1: yeah uh some someone just posted in the in the in the comments of the space uh, the the link to the book that Athenian was talking about. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. Russian blood, Texas soil.
2: <laughs> Guys, I have to it's tell real. you how hilarious uh, that guy is. Now, uh, if I remember correctly, his name was uh, Joe Barnhart or something like that. Yeah, um, that's correct. Yeah, he he was he he really I mean. I knew him. Uh, he was, if he's, uh, certainly he's passed away by now. Uh, but he he absolutely was what we would call a spurg about Dostoevsky. He learned Russian just to read everything from the original. Uh, and he was absolutely upset. He turned every single course he taught uh, into a course on the Brothers Karamazov. Um, but but, but I, I want to emphasize, he still was a thoughtful man. A uh, very, very kind man, very, uh, very thoughtful. I mean, had a Ph.D., for God's sake. I mean, it, well, that doesn't mean much anymore. But back then, uh, from the school of thought that he was from, and he very much struggled with his own faith. Like I said, he began in seminary uh, and ended up losing his faith uh, and ended up in, in philosophy. Is uh, uh, essentially a 19th century uh, specialist uh, in philosophy, German philosophy. Uh, And then, of course, uh, Dostoevsky and stuff. So uh, I would I I would I'm so glad someone whoever posted that. Thank you, Uh, because if I can't find my copy, uh, I'm absolutely going to buy it uh, just to read how he uh, finishes off uh, Dostoevsky's
0: masterpiece. That's that's amazing that someone did that. Uh, That was Davis Nullis who posted that. Thank you, Davis. All right. So I want to make one final comment in relation to my earlier comments. And I've kind of been holding off on this because I I don't know where this is, if it's in Dostoevsky or Nietzsche at all. I've never read it, this insight, in either of their works. But I think Dostoevsky must, as an Orthodox Christian, Russian Orthodox Christian, must be aware of this and must be a a part of his whole perspective uh, on regaining your faith. But then I'd like to actually talk about Rest calling cause religious conversion in a little bit more detail, and um, uh, you know if you guys have any final comments after we do that, maybe we can open the space up to comment. Uh, I particularly want people to comment who've read the material that we're talking about. Uh, it's it's a pretty big deal to me uh, if if there's f- three to five speakers in a space. We're all talking about a specific set of books that, um, you know, we're not really interested in you coming up and like not having read any of those books and just kind of spouting off the top of your head what you think about these topics, uh, because that's the fastest way to derail a a good conversation and a space. Um, So if you've done the reading, we'll do this on a faith based uh, expectation here. Feel free soon when this conversation closes, which will be pretty soon, uh, to take the mic because I'll have time to do some discussion. Um, I see RS is here. I'm anxiously awaiting (coughs) any insight he may have. But anyway, yeah, I I don't mean to get off topic here. I just I I can't stand it when someone wants to pontificate on a topic that they've not read anything about, Um, especially when the space is quite obviously like a, a book reading space about about a particular text anyway here's the thing i wanted to say uh so you you overcome you become the ubermensch you you find faith whatever it may be you 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 follow dostoevsky or you follow nietzsche and you find your way out of nihilism my contention is that you don't stay in that rapturous religious state or you don't stay in that uh I don't know what Nietzsche would call this rapturous state, but you don't stay, you don't remain forever. You don't persist in this state of childlike, uh, unmediated re- relation to the world around you. you. You kind of fall back into your old patterns of being and your old patterns of thought and behavior. Um, no matter what happens, you still have somewhere in your mind that the world is a, a bunch of atoms bumping around in, in, in empty space. I'm not asserting necessarily that that's the case. I'm trying to make the point that uh, I made at the very beginning of the space, that once you learn these things, you can't unlearn them. Once you realize something is true, uh, you know, my contention is not... That you, you, you learn that uh, science is true, you lose your faith, and then you realize later that actually science was not true the whole time. Not at all. You regain your faith in the face of that knowledge. And it's a different faith. That's my whole point. That's the whole point of this space. The faith that you're able to regain in the face of that knowledge is a different faith than the faith you had before you learn that knowledge. So my question is, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be science. You could have a loved one die, and that makes you lose your faith. Or, you know, any number of things can happen. Um, once you regain that faith, right, like how do you hold that up to persist for the rest of your life so you don't fall back into it? My argument is, and I think this is why Dostoevsky goes the religious route, and this gets exactly at Levin's comments before about the cocoon butterfly—you're cycling through, uh, the, becoming the flux of being. Right? You need the religious ritual to reconnect yourself to the divine over and over again, because that's the whole entire point of the religious ritual. It's to—it's to, it's to um, as you're like falling away from god and as you're falling away from your essence of yourself and as you're falling away from your relationship with the cosmos the divinity the divine cosmos the ordered universe that god uh provides the order to right and you fall find yourself falling out of that order the ritual kind of subsumes you back into it and that's the whole point and i don't know If Nietzsche has anything like that in, you know, he talks about the eternal recurrence, right? That's his like version of this like religious ritual, which is supposed to be cyclical. The religious ritual is cyclical because you go back and you eat the body of Christ. You participate in the Eucharist over and over and over again. It doesn't just happen one time. It happens every Sunday or confession. You do confession repeatedly. You pray the rosary repeatedly. These are not things that you just do one time and then you're like good with God forever. You have to keep doing it. Um, And I don't really know what Nietzsche has in his system to retain that. It's like you overcome with your will and you become the blonde beast and you become the ubermensch. And then you're like, you have to like retain that force of will to like keep yourself in that position and to keep that mindset. And people get, people get slothful, people get weak, people get tired of doing that. So you have to be rejuvenated in some way. Now I could go off on a whole thing and talk about the golden bow and talk about the killing of the King. Um, And that's like, once the King becomes weak, once the King like can't perform at the height of his powers, Right. Because the king has to perform at the height of his powers for the entire time he is king. And as soon as he starts to falter, uh, a stronger warrior comes along and kills him. And, and the Golden Battle talks about how tribes ritualistically kill the king before he gets weak. So they don't fall into that weakness and into that decadence. But, but that, that will bring the conversation to a whole different place. But, you know, you learn stories about, like, the Merovingian warlords and the Anglo-Saxon warlords. And it's like, you know, the the king remains being the king for as long as he can kill the warrior who challenges his power. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I don't foresee any way to, like, get back to that state of affairs, which is totally totally different than religion it's totally off into a whole different realm that has nothing to do with your personal relationship with god right but if the 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 ubermensch that like is talking about is this like one guy who's able to overcome nihilism and overcome the slave morality and like assert himself as like the top dog right he he how how does he stay there and i don't mean him personally How does his new system that he like instantiates over the old system. And now when I say the new system, I mean some future system. And when I say the old system, I mean the system we have now, if someone comes along and replaces it with something better, how do they stay in power and keep from sliding back into like uh, this debauchery? And I don't know what the answer is, which is why I'm constantly going back and forth between Nietzsche and Dostoevsky, because N- D- Nietzsche kind of leaves me with like nothing. I don't. I don't know what else to say because I can't help, and this is why I need Athenian. <laughs> I can't help but see the eternal recurrence as nothing more than a neat thought experiment. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you should like. Live your life as if this thought experiment were true. But I don't know where that gets anyone. But I maybe I'm way off base here, and I, I, I would love to hear Athenians take on what I said. Uh, do you think, Athenian, that Nietzsche actually does have an answer to this problem that I've presented? And can you explain to us how the eternal recurrence is anything more? Because I do think the eternal recurrence is his version of this ritual that I'm talking about that religion provides. I just don't see how it actually provides it is my, my issue.
2: Yeah. So, um, so this is something that I I broached in the space today that I did with disgrace propagandists. It's in the section on the rabble uh, in book two, where Zarathustra says that, The most difficult thing that he almost chokes on uh, is the fact that the herd is necessary, right? That you can't simply genocide, you know, however many people you want, start afresh, uh, and you won't end up with another herd. Uh, And that's the, the most important element to this teaching of eternal return of the same, is that if you're going to say was that life once more, uh, then you're going to have to say it to the things that are the the most difficult to say it to. And that, of course, is the last man, the herd, the rabble. And what Zarathustra does is halfway through that chapter, he says, but do you all want to know how I got past this, how I redeemed myself uh, from all of this? Uh, and then he spends the rest of the tap chapter talking about the great joy, uh, that he experienced upon having redeemed himself, but he never tells us what it was. And so, uh, what it is, is that he's leading up to it uh, because all of book two was when he has to come back, he has to come back down, uh, to save his teaching. That's been mixed. It's a kind of syncretism with the last man, um, that's the great danger is that he's, he is a founder, right? Uh, And again, book six, Machiavelli's Prince, Uh, by far the most difficult thing for anyone is to found new modes and orders. Uh, Not just because of the risk of death to yourself, but because of how do you keep those new modes and orders going? And this all leads up to two sections at the end of book two. The first is the soothsayer, and this is going to be Nietzsche's, well, Zarathustra's most uh, comprehensive account of what he means by nihilism. That's going to be the soothsayer. And then the chapter after that is titled On Redemption. And there we find out what it is uh, that Nietzsche sees as the way one can redeem oneself from nihilism. Right. In other words, Zarathustra has boasted that he has overcome nihilism. Now, Nietzsche is going to say this as well. Nietzsche is going to say that he overcame nihilism. Um, And that's going to get into this uh, topic. Um, Now, it it turns out that what he says in that chapter on uh, the rabble is that Well, actually the next section, the next action on the tarantulas is that he wants most desperately to redeem man from, from, uh, from resentment, right? Resentment. Uh, and that shows up most especially with the teachings of equality, the preachers of equality. Now we're going to find out in the soothsayer that it turns out it's an even far broader order than just resentment at inequality. Uh, The resentment is, in fact, the fullest statement of nihilism, which is uh, and I I won't won't get into that. I mean, I did I did a whole space on this long ago and it's uh, it's recorded in a telegram. Um, I need to update that, by the way, uh, for another one. But but that's going to be the key uh, to how Nietzsche sees this overcoming of these things and what it ultimately gets to, and this is why I was saying that you and gifts, and I I hate that she wasn't able to get through in here tonight. Uh, this is what I was going to say that, that the answer, at least to Nietzsche of how one retains that childlike or naive simplicity or something, um, is that on the one hand you cannot, because uh, again, in the kind of the transformation of the, or the metamorphoses of the spirit, uh, you've already gone through the process of uh, destroying any and all thou shalt, right? So that you are only left with the I will. You will be the I will. Um, it's this radical uh, teaching of the will, of the power of the will. Like I, I call it sort of the John Wick effect, right? Uh, but that doesn't necessarily lead to happiness as of course John Wick uh, shows. Uh, but Zarathustra somehow is has been able to find joy. Um, so much joy that he doesn't even uh, feel anger at the people of the preachers of equality and stuff. Uh, but he will end up breaking down and crying in front of his disciples when he realizes that it's much more than just resentment that has to, or resentment at inequality that it has to get to. So he breaks his own teaching about what the friend is supposed to be uh, in front of his own disciples. But uh, it's fun. It's going to fundamentally come down to this sheer focus of will uh, to block things out. And this is what he refers to in the genealogy of morality as being able to have uh, healthy forgetting. Now, here we are really, really deep into the realm of what is humanly possible. I mean, does anyone really is anyone really able or capable of forgetting in a healthy way, the things that cut them the deepest, right? Most especially the past, right? Failures in the past, failures with love, uh, all these kinds of failures at what you could have been, had you not fucked around your whole life or just made these great mistakes. Uh, And that's, I think what, what makes, what, what most endangers Nietzsche's teaching, right? Uh, It's, it's one thing to say that you're going to have uh, anger inside of you to, You know bust through these walls that you hate right uh but that doesn't last right people don't stay angry forever uh people certainly are not happy when they're angry uh how was Zarathustra happy um and so i think that's where we're into the realm of just how very very difficult if not impossible it is to ever have this kind of overman status And then you, you juxtapose that with the act of love, uh, that we find in Dostoevsky's brothers, Karamazov, is it, is it the case that now active love is another form of the will, right? Uh, you're going to will yourself to just love, right? To, to be as absolutely, um, forgiving or whatnot as possible, uh, and so you end up in a kind of similar situation because uh, I, I just don't know about these things. Um, but anyway, that, that, that's that's what I would sort of add to that is that you have to have the what Nietzsche refers to in the genealogy as uh, noble forgetting, healthy forgetting, uh, to not even remember when someone slighted you and be like, ah, yeah, look, whatever, man. It's probably not. Um, and, and, and these things, like again, they really, really strain. Uh, they strain our imagination to even think of them as possible. But we also have to remember we are closer to last men than overmen. Uh, So maybe that's why it's impossible for us to imagine these things.
0: Uh, See, that that was actually a kind of a good characterization or partial characterization of the idea of the eternal recurrence. But the problem is, and I think this is part of why people side with Dostoevsky, is that all of these things that Nietzsche is proposing – Are already systematized and institutionalized by the church, so like that's what confession is, you know, um, or that is what prayer to God is. It's an act of forgetting all these things, and of course Nietzsche knows all this. I I I talked about in my in our well our first space. Um, I read a a chapter from not a chapter but a passage from *Gay Science*, in which Nietzsche talks about how the church is in shambles and the church has crumbled. Uh, So this is the thing about like, when I sound like I'm criticizing Nietzsche, uh, I'm not uh, at all. It's just that I don't know if there is a way, non-religious way to overcome these things. Uh, Because he, he isn't saying like to hell with the church. Um, We're going to do it my way instead. No, he's saying the church is, is done. It's no longer a, a place that you can go at least not on a civilization society wide scale to uh, find this renewal and to fulfill these human needs uh, because the church has broken down in one way or another. And, and, and Athenian brought up the tranny flag. Why does that matter? Because that shows the church is capitulating to what people like to call the zeitgeist. And the church is capitulating uh, and, 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 uh, sacrificing its own moral system for the moral system of the day. The secular moral system has completely imposed itself upon the church, but it's, it doesn't even seem to me. That's the thing. It doesn't even seem like, like uh, secular liberalism is like forcing any of this into the church. It almost seems like the church is like taking it up and doing it because they want to. Or at least they're putting on a grand show of wanting to. So, so when you see a tranny flag in a church, that's what Nietzsche means by "God is dead." Uh, it means that secular morality has overtaken uh, religious Christian morality, and the Christian Christianity and the church has like adopted this secular morality as its own thing and capitulated to it completely. Uh, so, so that's what Nietzsche means when he says God is dead. It means that if you need to like fulfill these basic human needs and you go to a church, you're not going to find like what you used to be able to find there. You're going to find a trans flag. You're going to find like the values of the very society that is causing the nihilism that you're suffering from. You're going to find these people, uh, propounding those very things uh, so when I say that like I don't know if Nietzsche's system is like up for it I- I'm not saying that, like anything against Nietzsche I- I'm saying that our plight is so bleak <laughs> that it's almost like what can you do other than save yourself via Dostoevsky's way but you know I- I'd like to I mean we need to wind down here um, this discussion. So I, I really do want to talk about Crime and Punishment, but I uh, I want Eleven to, to go first. He's had his hand up.
1: Oh yeah, I just I wanted to point out um, our good friend Acton Press linked a uh, thread in the comments of the space to Ernst Jünger's take on The Eternal Recurrence, which is quite a good thread. So just wanted to point it out in case it gets lost in the comments or something. It's it's quite good.
0: Can I ask you? Um, I mean, I could I could set it up. To uh, would you like to comment on Ras religious conversion? What I mean, how you see it, and what you, what you think of it? I, I know that's a broad question, but. In the context of this conversation, yeah, it's it's it's,
1: it's a it's a it's a, it's, it's a bit of a broad question. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's been a couple of years since I've read the book, so I don't want to make any comments that are out of my ass, as they say. <laughs> well, uh, so I'll let you do that. I, the only thing I want to comment is I don't know how many people know this, uh, but Dostoevsky he he had a knack for naming his characters. Uh, but any, pretty much any significant character in his book uh, has a has a reasoning. Uh, behind the name like uh raskolnikov is from the word uh, raskol which is a schism which i mean that you know knowing what well, knowing what the book is about that uh, says a lot and uh, there's a pattern. I, I i was thinking to maybe do a thread on this at one point but i'll have to look into all the characters but pretty much maybe 80 percent of his characters have a reasoning behind their names and it, it's 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 interesting because even dostoevsky's name was actually a given name um his his real surname, if you trace the lineage, uh, was was something else. It was uh, it was uh, and uh, it comes from basically he had an ancestor in uh, in the fifteen hundreds, who, at the time, they would go to the villages. The courts would go to the villages and uh, pick people to come work uh, for for the royal court. And people, the villages that were visited, the, and, and these people that were taken, they were, they were referred to as the Dostoyniks, which in Polish is like a dignitary. And uh, in Russian, they, were, they would take people who were worthy of going, and the worthy is Dostoynik in, in Russian. So you have kind of this transformation of Dostoevsky. It's, it's it's just it's just interesting to point out that you know he liked naming characters after certain things, and his family name was also
0: came from a very specific thing. Yeah, this is all good to know. So now is a great time for people to start uh, requesting the mic, especially if you've read *Crime and Punishment*. But uh, if you haven't read that, if you've read any Nietzsche, Dostoevsky, have anything, any comments? Uh, Fisher had to dip out. Apparently, I was hoping he would come in. I bring this up, though, because I I pinned to the uh, space at the top an essay I wrote a couple years ago that I've... And when I wrote it, I felt certainly confident that Nietzsche was the only way and the only answer. Uh, And now I don't know. I keep going back and forth. I I haven't even made up my mind tonight. Um, But... It's called The Failed Ubermensch, and it's about Raskolnikov because my argument is that – and, you know, I don't know how terribly original this is. But Raskolnikov was attempting to, like, become a great man. He, he was attempting to become his version of an Ubermensch. Um, and this was written before Zarathustra. I'm using that word kind of loosely. Uh, but in the book, he, he wants to become a great man. He wants to become, like, Solon or Alexander or Napoleon – And he uses, as I said earlier, the system of rational thinking to kind of think his way into this act um, uh, of the murder. And then he finally confesses, right? This is our, we're all already getting into exactly what I was talking about, right? He feels so guilty that the only way to allay his guilt is to confess. He has to confess. He has to get it off his mind because he goes into this neurotic fuse state. So he confesses to the police and they send him to Siberia. Uh, a lot of important things happen in Siberia. Uh, but, but the thing I want to talk about is that um, this naive faith, right, that, that I was referring to before. Um, he's got Sonia with him and she, she's a prostitute. She's like an 18-year-old prostitute who's only selling her body to like feed her family. Because her father's a drunk. And uh, she is trying to like get Raskolnikov to convert to Christianity and and become religious. And he's rejecting her. He's rejecting it. And she becomes this like patient witness who just kind of stays by his side and uh, tends to him and loves him unconditionally, kind of waiting for him to come around. And she gives him a Bible and stuff. And he has this, like, nightmare vision. He's got this vision of the world in which, like, if you have a world that's ordered on rationality, every man is going to come up with he th- with what he thinks is best. He's going to come up with his own system of morals, just like Raskolnikov himself did. And he's going to act upon those and that those things are going to bring him into conflict with other people who have their own system of, of morals. And he realizes that you need a system of morals handed down to you by an authority figure like the church that everyone abides by so that you can have like this unity and cohesion of, of society. And so that you can like live uh, and you don't do these things to each other because he can't like rationalize for himself a reason not to kill the old lady. This, this is very tied in with Ivan as well. Um, So so he kills her and he gets feels guilty about it. And then he understands that you need this like imposed uh, these imposed rules uh, by which you should act. Right. And then this is the thing. Right. This is the thing. He then like understands what Sonia was like doing the whole time. That she was like waiting for him to like come to this realization on his own, you know what I mean? So he has this renewed sense of like uh, I was going to say a renewed sense of life, and I was going to liken it to Dostoevsky's um, renewed, you know, embracing of life after he was his death sentence was commuted. And I do think the epiphany that Raskolnikov is akin to that feeling. You know, he came to it in a different way. But I think that that's the feeling that Dostoevsky was trying to evoke with him having that revelation. And the reason why Sonia is like a a symbol or a metaphor, not a metaphor, but like a, a representation of uh, faith, right? This naive faith that Rasko... But now here, here's the problem, though. So in the Bible, I think it's Matthew. It's quoted in the essay, so you have to check the essay. Uh, Christ says that um, the drunks and the and the prostitutes will get into heaven before like the educated man uh, because when they hear Christ's message, they follow it immediately. And the educated man, I, I can't remember who he juxtaposes them with. It's not necessarily an educated man, but for this conversation, that works. He questions Christ's teaching and like has to think it through for himself and he hesitates. Whereas the prostitute and the, the drunkard just kind of listen right away. They hear his message right away and follow him. The point being that they have this like f- uh, naive faith and they have this Im- immediacy of experience in which they're not in their own heads and like trying to think out for themselves which is best. Right. And that's what Sonya's supposed to represent. (coughs) So Raskolnikov like realizes that she's been this patient witness for him to like have this revelation in his own time. And then he like falls madly in love with her and they have this like rapturous experience of love in the light of Christ or however you want to say it. And I read that as cynical at first because I, I i i felt like raskolnikov didn't regain that naive faith that raskolnikov didn't like attain the same state of being that sonya had rather he like had it by proxy through her like relationship to him but he still like came to his revelation Not because he felt it like deep within, but because he had the realization that like there's no other way to um to like have a functioning society. There's no other way to live your life unless you hand over responsibility of like morality and you hand over responsibility of your fate to God. And this is the escape from nihilism. Uh, you're no longer like responsible for your own faith. You're no longer your own fate. Excuse me. You're no longer responsible for creating meaning in your life. You hand it over to God. And it's like, I, I don't know. Now when I think about it, it seems like that is the best way to go. It seems like what else can do you try as hard as you can to figure it out for yourself and when you're finally too tired to do it anymore, you know God is there waiting. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. Maybe I'll never know if that is truly itself a sincere, you know, rapturous religious feeling, or if it's just simply a person becoming too tired and giving up. And that's what I said in the article. That's what I said in the essay. That essentially Raskolnikov is just giving up. Um, you know, I could say more, but I've I've gone on quite a lot. But you know, I remember this like I remember this video of Jordan Peterson talking about Dostoevsky, and he says that Dostoevsky is steel uh, you know, the rationalist worldview. He's steel his opponent, and then he, he's such a good writer because he breaks him down and he like he he's not setting up a caricature of his opponent. Because, because Dostoevsky is having a conversation with other people in Russia. He is addressing other thinkers. And Raskolnikov is supposed to be the representation of their ideology. And Peterson was saying... And this is old. This was an old, old video of his. This is when I first learned about him. And I wanted to like see what the hype was and check him out. And It's like the first video I ever hit on. And he said that... Um, Raskolnikov is Dostoevsky's way of like steel manning the opposing side and then Dostoevsky is like such a brilliant thinker and writer that he like he 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 tears him down and beats him and like emerges victorious at the end but I wonder is Raskolnikov really a steel man I mean he kind of seems like a ridiculous caricature of this type of person he seems to be like this like uh, this really uh, over overdramatic version which i guess you could argue is the logical conclusion of this mode of thinking but you have to ask yourself how many of these people actually how many of these last men who who have been in this instilled system of rational thinking into themselves through their education through the enlightenment whatever through liberalism they don't actually go out and act like Raskolnikov. The vast majority of them act like like last men. They wallow in their nihilism, uh, which, which is why I think, I mean, I love this book. This is one of the most important, best books I've ever read in my life. But I actually think Raskolnikov is kind of ridiculous, actually. And he's pretty much like a weak, cowardly person. And I think Dostoevsky is making him look wretched and weak and cowardly on purpose. I don't think he's steel-manning him at all. I think he's making him look ridiculous to show the poverty of that mindset and of that mode of thinking. Um, A steel man, Raskolnikov, would have been someone who found success and happiness and fulfillment with that mode of thinking. You know what I mean? Because another one of the things we have to contend ourselves with. Or it not we don't have to contend ourselves with. Another something we have to contend with that I never see anyone contending with is that what if these last men are truly actually happy? And we're the ones who are unhappy, and we're the ones suffering from nihilism, and we just are heaping scorn on them as you know, sows out to pasture, because we feel this like unquenchable disquiet in our own selves. That we can't overcome. So we use it as like a coping mechanism. To denigrate these people. You know what I mean? And I'm not talking about the trannies. I'm not talking about the, the drug addicts. I'm not talking about the the, the freaks. and the, and, the, and the morbidly obese people. Who demand reparations. And say fat is healthy. I'm talking about. The NPC. Who spends all of his time watching football. And playing video games. It's very easy for us to denigrate them and say, well, they're not really happy or somebody who like lives their life for or with materialism and they have a bunch of materialist, you know, things that like make them happy. What if they really are happy? That's the thing no one ever fucking asks. But that's the most important question. What if the last man is happy? Clearly, these dysgenic leftist freaks aren't happy. Clearly, they have resentment. The communists, clearly they are resentful and they're not happy. They're miserable. And their whole purpose in life is to make everyone else miserable and ruin everyone else's good time. But how can we say we're not ruining those other people's good time? The normies who just want to grill. How come we're not ruining their good time by telling them they need to, you know, read Zarathustra and, and embody the eternal recurrence? I mean, how do you fucking, how do you argue that? I I want someone to argue me with me because I don't know what the answer, I don't know the argument against that. What if we're the underground man sitting wretchedly in our houses alone, reading all this philosophy, coming up with this like great arguments for why those other people are miserable? Because that's what, that's what the underground man is. He's a miserable person who can't. Stay. I wish fucking Fisher didn't leave because he's the one. <laughs> he has a really good perspective on this. How do we know that that's not what we're doing? H- how do I know that the reason why I'm not fucking happy unless I'm constantly reading these books and like constructing this huge system of thought? Because, because how do I know that I'm not doing that because something is wrong with me? You know what I mean? Like me. I don't know. I don't know. I could continue to rant, but these are the questions that no one ever asks. I never hear these questions asked. Go ahead. I'll shut up now.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, at least from Nietzsche's perspective, or, or Zarathustra, the the question of happiness is whether or not what's behind your motivations for doing things is really one of resentment. Um, and so that's, that's what he keeps coming back around to. So for instance, with the pre with the preachers of equality um, and what, what he's saying is that to experience the kind of happiness, his, what he's found through redemption of nihilism is that, He's rid himself of the resentment because remember uh, when he says that uh, the townspeople are laughing at him because uh, he says I see through their I see the hatred that's really behind their laughter. So it's it's not so much that they're even happy they're they're miserable, um, and the reason that they live the way that they do with their uh, equality and these kinds of things egalitarianism or as we would say, living under a gynocracy, is that behind all of these things, uh, is a kind of, uh, seething that's going on in the soul is it's, it's not, it's not a happy man who comes home, uh, and retreats back into his, uh, man cave or something like that. So that, that I think would, would be the way to approach it. Now, um, then, you know, then, then you have to say, well, I mean, there are some people who genuinely are happy. I mean, they're, they're happy in their ignorance. Um, and that's possible, right? That's possible. Um, yes. So, so I'll just, I'll just sort of leave it at that because, uh, all of the things that would, so for instance, in our culture right now, all of the people who are advocating for, um, you know, the trans and all this kind of stuff and, uh, when you think about the uh, radically corrupted understanding of Christianity that the the white female liberal takes with her into the voting booth, um, those do not come from places of happiness. Uh, these are people who have deep animosity and anger towards the world and want to uh, change it uh, based on a kind of deep-seated uh, resentment and things like that. Um, so, so, so that's, that's something that I would, I would be sure to add into this, this count. Well, this, I
0: was counting, I was uh, counting, I was counts. counting the, the feminist and the hall monitor schoolmarm, uh, with the dysgenic communists because feminism is just communism, basically. I, I wasn't trying to cut you off. I was rather just trying to clarify that I, felt I had accounted for that particular
2: demographic in my,
0: in my characterization.
2: Hey, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 No, I didn't, I didn't think you were cutting me off. I mean, I, I was, I was done.
3: Astrid, anyway. Astrid, can, I, <laughs> can I speak one thing? Are we not talking about free will? I mean, and I, when I say that free will, I don't take that um, lightly, but I'm saying, can we define what free will is? Because if you look at, again, this, this experiment that we have in America, it is an experiment in self-government, and that self-government is predicated on free will. And so then what are what are the attributes, what are the things, the institutions that, again, that the founding fathers were fighting for to preserve free will, to be able to actually determine if you're happy or not? Yeah, happy.
0: but I mean, you have to ask, do you believe in free will, A, and B, do you think everyone should be able to exercise their free will?
3: Well, that's that is the fundamental question, yes, and that's why we're running this experiment in America.
0: Yeah, I think everybody has. I the, think it's pretty groundly failed explore. at this
3: point. No, I don't think we failed. I think the failure has been the educational system. What we're doing today, and Athenian is you know doing it with exploring the noble lie and all these things, is that you have a bell curve of intellectual capacity and IQ. Uh, Jordan Peterson gave that alarming statistics of people. of the population has IQ less than 78. And I think the Founding Fathers understood, again, that democracies were very vulnerable to the herd mentality because they were incapable of critical thinking. So what we're discussing today is all of the metaphysicians who essentially are talking about what it means to be. And to be means free will. So all of this is mute. I mean, we can go, like you're saying, you get go into these recursive loops of I'm happy, I'm not happy, and what is happiness. But in the end, the ability to be able to determine if you're happy or not happy is is fundamental well, to being. Well, hold on,
0: let me. Okay, can we couch that? Let, let's let Indigo go because uh, they had their hand up for a while, and you just brought up like a huge, huge topic um, that's right in line but with I think what that's,
3: we're I think, talking about. Well, let me just say I'm fr- I'm frustrated because I think what you're seeing today is the destruction, this ideological subversion of the United States of America. And you're seeing it with this this socialist and this communism. It's And it's the Trojan horse is, I hate to say it, the white liberal woman <laughs> because they're used weaponizing empathy well. and they're undermining any type of critical thinking. And and, and in essence, and you end up you end up usurping liberty at the expense of this sort of materialistic happiness well, that is forced upon you Well, well hold, on, media, hold on. let is let's
0: let's hold off because i th- i mean uh, let's let's get re- let's circle back to you in a second because i do think raskolnikov could be used as an exemplar of the failure of the concept of free will but 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 let's, let's let
4: indigo first and get back to you yeah i have a thank you i have a couple points and I- you're absolutely right don and i think you're making some good points um And weaponizing empathy is a wonderful way to describe uh, feminism. But I think uh, to kind of uh, fulfill the position that you want someone to kind of argue it back, uh, you know, nihilism like ultimately will find the truth, right? But intellect isn't the only source of truth yet. Sure, nihilism is more consistent um, in achieving whatever the truth is, but you know it, there's other truths besides just that um in like the whole purpose is to struggle or to kind of wrestle with these ideas with trying to find meaning outside of a religious framework and you know in an honest and durable way is like the space is titled overcoming nihilism you're only going to do that if you're radically honest and if you really just do get down to the roots of it um Because the goal is to find, like, a deeper sense of meaning. Uh, There's a Ram Dass quote that comes to mind. Um, The intellect is a beautiful servant, but a terrible master. Um, Yeah. So that's just kind of where I was thinking about it.
3: And and I'd just like to add to the fact that, you know, you have also just these historical commentaries, um, you know, one by Orwell. And they're they're very appropriate, because Orwell was one of these people who was one of these, what was he, a British... You know, he served in the British colonies, you know, so he understood the what fear would do for people to to lose freedom, to lose free will. And then you have someone like Huxley. Freedom and And
4: will aren't
3: exclusive. And I met Huxley then took it one step further and said, Orwell, you know, in the ultimate revolution of which he gave a speech at Berkeley and he talks about the ultimate revolution is that, you know, you essentially use pharmacological methods for people to love their servitude. And so they don't even know they're actually enslaved. And so you use fear and fear only works up to a certain point because you have to use terror, you have to use force. And then at some point you introduce pharmacological methods and then people actually love their servitude. They don't even know they're, they're, they're enslaved. And at that point you're back to, again, the way humanity has lived, which is under totalitarianism and and lacking complete free will. And you're back to almost like an animalistic state of, of hardwired conditioning absence of of language.
0: Well, I kicked him out because he's the perfect example of what I was talking about I don't like people doing, which is to prove that you haven't done the reading by rambling about nonsense. (laughs) However, (laughs) (laughs) I still agree with what I said that um, Mm -hmm. Raskaldikov is an exemplar of I don't want to say the non-existence of free will. Although I think you could make an argument that free will doesn't exist, but, uh, well, you can't
4: prove a negative. Maybe it would be determinism.
0: Well, you could, you could argue that, uh, what you think is free will is actually some combination of a response to hormones within yourself, unconscious desires, social conditioning, all that bullshit. And then that free will is only a state that you can achieve, uh, that you aspire to, and that you like sort of accomplish or, or you achieve that, excuse me, not, not accomplish, you achieve that state by uh, a maturation process or the individuation process that Carl Jung talks about that is only accessible to like uh, very few people and going right back to the conversation from before once you achieve that state in order to persist in that state you have to uh you have to continuously work to to remain as such so i think Raskolnikov is is exemplary of the difficulty of like because cuz i mean uh, uh, i'm looking for somebody to refute or or uh, bolster my my insight here but like to me, I would say that Raskolnikov is acting upon his free will. And look where it gets him. But I don't know, if you think he's not acting on his free will, please tell me why.
4: I mean, I don't know if uh, it's so much that um, I can't speak on a text I haven't really uh, examined very thoroughly. But something you were saying earlier was that you know the people that were in these very liberal views and you know the transgender movement and stuff that and maybe they are truly happy and who are we to say that they're not happy and um no i just, i would not be happy trust
0: uh man maybe i'll just not open maybe i just won't open the fucking spaces to to people to talk anymore <laughs> uh go ahead 11. Yeah, so
1: um, I have something to support your point. There is uh, across several letters, Dostoevsky himself saying that it's basically what you are saying about Raskolnikov. That uh, he specifically says, like I mentioned before, he had this you know personal idea of the Übermensch, the, the highest type, and uh, Raskolnikov for Dostoevsky is an example of someone who who is straight from that path. So he he is essentially supporting. What you are saying—that was the point of the book—to show someone that strays from the path. It's meant to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of make him look uh, bad. Let's say
0: that's awesome. Where, where, wh- what letter was this? Uh, I
1: I can't recall right now. I, I don't have I don't have notes well... on that. It's not a translated one. It's uh, it comes over several uh it was uh, it, it was around the same years that the book was published i it's a bit too late for it's a bit too early in the morning for me no I, know, I understand you can <laughs> uh
0: you can send it to me though if, if you find it yeah because yeah, yeah, I would yeah, love to yeah, read that yeah. you know you know what i'll uh
1: what, once once we're done uh, once we're done with this, I'll get a good night's sleep and then i'll I'll send
0: it to you tomorrow Thank you and I don't know if anybody here has read joseph frank's biography i I haven't read the whole thing <laughs> I haven't read even a fraction of it. Well, I've read a tiny fraction of it, uh, but it's like 500 pages long. Or it's, no, it's like five volumes long. It's probably... I don't know how many pages long. It's probably like 1,500 pages long. But he has long, long literary analyses of each of his major books. And some of them are like cross-analyses, meta-analyses of other people's analyses of the books. Um, and I've read part of the underground man and uh uh crime and punishment so right in this you know five volume biography he'll drop a hundred pages of literary criticism and uh he does talk about how raskolnikov is explicitly a caricature of all these different ideas (laughs) excuse me but, uh, you know, I wonder if it's in there, if, he, if if this letter you're talking about is in there. I, I saw Athenian's hand go up. I, I'd be very interested to know if you've read that biography.
2: No, I have not. I was going to make a comment, though, about uh, the the relationship between Raskalnikov and the pale criminal in Zarathustra, because this could very well... Um, be a fruitful way of addressing the kind of uh, free will issue that had come up because uh, I, I'm, I'm not too much a fan of the free will discussions because um, there, there are better ways to discuss what is even meant by that um, as opposed uh, well I, I won't get into that but um, the, the point is that and this goes back to uh, that space that I was doing today about the rabble and the tarantulas The problem of the rabble is exactly the problem of the pale criminal. Um, What happens when you have, uh, when you lower the bar of the teaching by having lesser men want to try to imitate it, right? To take it up. Um, And that's, that's going to be the same issue of uh, the pale criminal, and they they fail in trying to be stronger than they are, um, and so I think uh, I'm just I'm actually sort of thinking this as I'm I'm talking, so I'll, I'll probably just shut up. But I think that's a, I think that might be a helpful way to a helpful line or entry into this kind of uh, discussion about that because that's that's what has happened with the rabble. That's the whole point of the herd is that. Uh, when one tries to lift the herd up it brings that which is great down <laughs> it does you don't you don't end up with a bunch of great herds uh that have uh, they're no longer herd. they're all great uh and this is the problem of universal education right this is why it's so insane uh absolutely insane uh that people are talking about universal education all the way up through and including as much apparently college as you want to, uh, because it's just dumb. Uh, It's going to lead to worse quality of education, worse quality of graduate students, all all, all these things. Uh, But, but that, that's the issue there. The, the, the question of the failed Rizkalnikov, right? Or the pale criminal is exactly the question of uh, the rabble which is itself a question of um, rank order of human types, right? There are just fundamentally superior people, fundamentally inferior people. Uh, And no matter how fluid being itself might be, uh, you might not be able to bridge that gap uh, with with, any time people are sort of striving for greatness or something like that. Yeah, well, the
0: comparing um I mean there's a whole system of thought and metaphor that Raskolnikov uses excuse me that Nietzsche uses that you can like graft right on top of what Rus uh what Dostoevsky puts in his books. And I was really intrigued and fascinated to find out that uh a lot of what Nietzsche wrote he that lines up with Dostoevsky, he wrote before ever having read, it, read Dostoevsky. Uh, the Pale Criminal being one of them. Apparently, he wrote that before he had ever read Crime and Punishment. Uh, which just goes to show you that these two guys are looking at the same problem and coming up with the same solution. And I probably wouldn't compare Dostoevsky and Nietzsche to each other as much as I do if Nietzsche hadn't read Dostoevsky because for him to have read a guy who was so clearly, I mean, basically in the same fucking words describing the problem and coming up with the solution for Nietzsche to come up with his own solution shows you that he's, uh, he's not just like following or imitating Dostoevsky. He's, he's his own thinker. Um, you know, I haven't read much Schopenhauer. I've read a couple essays that are, were kind of irrelevant. But I've read uh, Nietzsche's the same way with Schopenhauer. He takes a lot from Schopenhauer. He's inspired by Schopenhauer, but he doesn't draw the same conclusions, uh, which is one of the great things about Nietzsche. He's not hes not so much uh, just reiterating his, his predecessors, what they've said. Uh, Eleven, go ahead.
1: Uh yeah, on that point, I also thought it was of interest um, that Dostoevsky was apparently a huge fan of Kant for a while. Uh, his brother Mikhail was uh, into Kant and Hegel, and he introduced Dostoevsky to Kant. And uh, yeah, thought so, thought so that was interesting uh, because I've seen I've seen some scholars claim that Dostoevsky was familiar with Schopenhauer's work as well, but their 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 claims are uh, backed up by basically. All the Western Europe, Western intellectuals and the Russian intellectuals were all reading Schopenhauer. Therefore, the Stoyevsky as and intellectual read Schopenhauer. Uh, that doesn't fly for me. as enough evidence of, uh, you know, Schopenhauerian thought in the States, Let's say.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I considered saying earlier, but I didn't because I haven't read Schopenhauer. I'm one of those guys, though. Like, I don't have a formal education in any of this stuff. I'm one of those guys who reads books like the dream of reason and uh, the history of Western philosophy. And I've read a few other like overview books where like each chapter is a different thinker and I've listened to the great courses and stuff. So I'm like familiar with the main ideas of these guys, but some of them I haven't read. Schopenhauer is one of them, but the way I understand, uh, Nietzsche is kind of like, um, the will the, the the will to power is like oh I, you know what I, i'm glad I, i'm glad i thought of this cuz i was going to say this but i didn't but it actually relates to what athenian was saying before anyway sorry w- what i mean is um i was going to say that according to schopenhauer the will exists in all things and it's kind of his way of getting rid of like god um, and, and a divine, like, instantiated purpose or meaning to your life and a, and a coherence to, uh, you know, everyone's, like, supposed shared destiny. It's really just the will, what he calls the will that is in all living things that uh, strives for them to, like, achieve the highest in life or just to live and to flourish, right? And then what I was going to say is that the will to power, I think must be like a building on that concept, that Schopenhauerian concept of the will. But then uh, what uh, Athenian was saying about the herd and the, and the Ubermensch and that the herd is always going to be there. The herd and the last man aren't going to go away in the whole. You can't have an Ubermensch if you don't have a herd for him to like overcome. Right. And it's like, everyone has this will inside them but only the ubermensch like like uh nurtures it and allows it to flourish whereas last men like uh are out of touch with it right they're out of touch with the will within themselves and they don't allow it to come through and and from their own like um their own thought patterns that I was talking about earlier about how you have this like rationalistic consciousness structure, this rationalistic worldview that you kind of superimpose over top of your instincts, that that sort of like keeps your will down or the society you're born into the nihilistic society you are born into it, like stifles or snuffs out or smothers your will. And you don't have, the will to power to like bring that out and let that overcome and shine through and, and overcome that, that stifling and um, 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 kind of see the light of day. And, uh, and, and then you sort of allow that to, to drive you and not what you're told to do by your education or by society or by the, the morals of society. Um, it's your own will that, that is already in, and that's that's the important thing I'm trying to say is it's already in you, and you have to allow it to flourish, uh, and and come through, and you operate from your will and not from you know your social conditioning. Go ahead, Athenian.
2: Yeah, this is uh, something that I'm I've been working on for a number of years now, and I still I still haven't come to a satisfactory answer myself. Um. Nietzsche's thought on free will is very interesting because it's very limited. He doesn't think we have too much free will, but yet at the same time, uh, you know, it, there has to be something there, right. To, 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 to accomplish this kind of, uh, transformation or so of the overman. And, And I think what it, what it comes down to is this, is that, um, you'll often hear it referred to as like the drive theory. Um, What Nietzsche sees in the human being is that it is a fundamental chaos of these various drives. And another way to, to, to say drives is various wills. You'll see Nietzsche variously refer to things like will to truth um uh, will to power uh all these various wills to do this wills to do that and what they are is those are the various drives that are the kind of chaos that is man and the will to power is the most important because that's the one that's able to uh rein in the other ones right uh, and that's the one that you have to recognize as the most foundational because it's simply a way of defining what life is itself for Nietzsche, which is this just kind of dark, mysterious, striving after more life. Uh, and what is this striving after more life? Well, those wanting to exercise power. Um, and so uh, that, that could perhaps... Uh, be helpful in this discussion of uh, you know, the, the various ways of free will and stuff. Uh, you see that the, the topic of free will comes up in his middle writings more than anything. Uh, human all too human. Uh, dawn and, uh, and joyous science. Um, but, but that might be something some people are, could find fascinating. I, I still don't know how to reconcile it because I, I don't know that Nietzsche himself Ever reconciled it? I think it comes back around to his one of his fundamental premises is that.
0: Hey, you're uh, you're you're computering here. You're going digital.
3: Fuck okay.
0: Okay. Goodness. Wait. Wait. You're back for a sec- It sounds like you're back. <laughs>
2: No, I was just... Uh, it was that, like right that, anyway, at the that's, important that's really moment, all. too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's all I was saying is that you have these various... I've <laughs> seen all the delayed reaction emojis. I was screaming, for the love of God! Uh, uh, but that you have all these various drives, and the most important of them is going to be the will to power, right? Because that's what all these drives are, is various wills. And the will to power is the most important because it's the one that harnesses them, uh, and, and you can sort of, uh, express that over anything. Cause that's what life is for Nietzsche is that it's this dark, mysterious thirsting after more life. Uh, and you, you achieve this, uh, success of life by exercising more will to power, uh, to achieve it. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was just, I, I was really just sort of thinking out loud before I roboted and then wanted to curse the sky that there's no justice in the world. Uh, because it's raining here, and if there's a single cloud in the sky, my Wi-Fi just goes to shit. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. Well, I, I have to admit, I think I speak on these things with some coherence. <coughs> Excuse me, but I have to admit, the more I talk about this stuff, I just like spin myself around, and I basically had just had just talked myself into like Dostoevsky. Now I'm like a Dostoevskian, <laughs> like. I was in Nietzsche for like three years and I've been thinking about it and I've been talking to Athenian about it. And then tonight I like, I like talk myself into like Dostoevsky's point of view. I don't know. Maybe I'll stay in this point of view for a while and then I'll go back to Nietzsche. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Well,
1: well on, on the bright side, you can look forward to the next time you become you become a Nietzschean, and then you know a few years down the line, you'll miss being yes. a, a Dostoevsky enjoyer, and you will just be really. It's the it's the
0: eternal recurrence enjoy. of Nietzsche Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the
1: exact that's the exact struggle uh, process that you gotta you know be enjoying all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say that uh, one of the, one of the things I have enjoyed the most uh, over the last uh, couple of years uh, knowing Astral now is that. Um, every time now, our our conversations always provoke me to want to go back to the text, and whether it's Nietzsche, Zarathustra, or whether it's Dostoevsky. Uh, and every single time I go back, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, oh god, uh, this was why I was this is why I love Nietzsche so much. Uh, but then, uh, we'll have a conversation about Dostoevsky. I'll go back and I'll read the Brothers Karamazov and be like, holy shit, man, this is, uh, this is good. This is persuasive. This is enough to keep me away from Nietzsche for a while. Uh, and so it's exactly that kind of oscillation right there. Uh, and I think that what's so beautiful about that uh, is they are addressing these fundamental concerns that we have, while at the same time, there's enough disagreement between the two of them that provides uh, inspiration for us uh, because we realize we might not have thoroughly thought all of these things through. And it's like, well, he actually has a little bit more to add uh, than what I thought last time. Uh, and I think that's nothing more than a manifestation of how much we uh, grow as people. We become deeper ourselves the more that we read these things. Uh, and that's definitely a good thing. Uh, absolutely a good thing.
0: Well, let's just take a moment here, because I think, I think I have to close the space and
2: acknowledge how
0: fucking great it is to have 11 here i mean he it's been so great to have him on the timeline putting out his uh translations and then to have him here just to offer insight and uh it's making me want to go back to joseph frank's biography because i i don't know if i'll ever read the whole thing straight through but i'm more interested now after reading these letters and like learning more about dostoevsky um, and to, to, to have 11 here to like bolster our insights with like real insights and facts about from Dostoevsky himself, uh, was a real treat. So thanks, man. You're always welcome. Uh, I think I do have to close it. Uh, I love, uh, when everybody shows up, I hope people got a kick out of me kicking out those other people. Cause that was fun. And, uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. Athenian and 11 though, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have the last word. I'll let you guys have the last word. Uh, But thank you. I can't do this without Athenian, obviously. Um, So it's just, it's always so rewarding that he comes and he entertains my, you know, complete, complete fucking (laughs) spurts. He's seen me go from like Dostoevsky to Nietzsche and back. So I really appreciate it, man.
1: I'll, I'll just i'll just say i'll just add as well uh thank you for having me it was great i hope that most important thing for me is that people you know found it interesting and also i just want i'll end it off by saying that do not despair because there is a glimmer of hope in the fact that there is currently alive uh, i think the great 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 grandson of dostoevsky who is also named fyodor dostoevsky so maybe we will soon, uh, he's about five years old and maybe we'll soon live to see the day when he grows up and maybe he'll give us some more insights that Dostoevsky didn't get to finish. You know, maybe his spirit lives on in his ancestors. He feels the strength of his ancestry, as they say.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'll just, I'll just end with the kind of echo of what Astral just said is, um, this is something that's uh, been in the works now for a while, uh, like attracts like, right? Um, and there's a group of us uh, there's there's me, there's Astral, there's Ancient, um, there's Conan, uh, there's Peachy, Peachy Keenan, um, there's a num. there's obviously Raw Egg Nationalist, uh, there's there's a great group of guys, uh, working to really make a difference in spaces by actually giving people something. That they can come to and enjoy more than just sitting down at the end of the night and just binge watching television or something like that, uh, and that's invaluable um, for so many reasons. And what Eleven is doing, uh, that work that he's doing with translations—I uh, mean, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. And so uh, I just want to oh oh, we've got a number of my friends in here too: Tweetafon, uh, Kane. Uh, I know Alejandro was in here earlier. Uh, Alejandro is just absolutely amazing himself. I mean, my God, you uh, can't tell you how blessed we are to have Alejandro and ancient among us. Uh, but, but this is something very, very good. Uh, and so, uh, the people that come across these spaces, uh, just pay attention to that kind of stuff, the kind of spaces that we host and the people that we host and the people that we, uh, are fortunate enough to have with us and we give mics to and things like that, uh, because that's the way forward, right? Um, so many of the spaces are just worthless, uh, absolutely worthless. Um, and I just think that this could be so absolutely beneficial because look, uh, the institutions, our institutions are gone. Okay. It's not the matter of them going right. They're gone. Uh, they're actively working against us. Uh, All of these people are actively working against us. And so what do we have left? Uh, Well, we have this until maybe if they end up taking this shit away from us somehow or another. Uh, But in the meantime, before they do that, uh, we can sure as hell become a lot better together, uh, stronger in our knowledge of these things, much more thoughtful uh, in how to go forward with so much of these things, these ideas, these powerful ideas. Uh, And I'm just so grateful uh, to you guys, uh, Astral 11, uh, my other friends in here, Tweetafon. Uh, all these people uh, that are doing these things. And so I really, really hope that people, uh, oh, I see Samo just joined. I'd I'd easily add uh, Samuel into that that group. Um, Just so many people uh, worth your time following versus so many people that are not worth your time following, a lot of topics that aren't even worth your time uh, staying on top of. Uh, And this is the kind of education that for many people, uh, for most people, I think, uh, they have careers in life uh, that aren't really what they want to be doing. Uh, they would rather be doing this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, and now we have it. Uh, we have something that people can work for. And, oh, and like Lomez with the Passage Prize, uh, people that just want to put together their own uh, attempts at things uh, and get some really good recognition that they might not otherwise ever have gotten. It's all here right now, and it's uh, getting stronger, getting better. Uh, our spaces that we conduct together are getting better, uh, and I just think uh, that, that I could just sort of sing the praises of some of my friends in here about this. Uh, but I'll stop there because I've already rambled too much. But this is so absolutely beneficial uh, for so many for so many people. We've got so many resources at our hands. Uh, I mean, it was Dev uh, who found that book for us that I might not have otherwise even found. It was just like right there, and it's like it's like, hey guys, here it is. It's right here. Uh, it's right here. Uh, so so there you have it, right? Uh, just make this place what you want it to be, and it can be quite amazing uh, if you let it. Yeah, man, that's
0: well said. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm going to end it. I hate ending it every time. Alexander's Cartographer, awesome account. Everybody should follow him. Thank you for coming. Adrian. Adrian's our boy. Uh, Adrian of the group chat. He's got his own podcast, so uh, a lot of great things are coming. A lot of great things are happening. Athenian. Listen, this is where this is where you want to be. Like, there's nothing else going on like this that isn't gang and retarded and paused. I And I don't mean my space. I mean, this scene that we have on Twitter and it's built up around BAP. And I know some people don't like Moldbug, but it's built up around Moldbug. And uh, those guys are the leaders and um what they've done is historic it's straight up historical um and people are going to remember this time as like a cultural renaissance so you know you could be a shit poster and that's fine i don't have any hate for the shit posters but like those aren't the ones who are going to be remembered it's going to be like Lomez in the passage prize god knows what raw egg's going to do with man's world i mean that guy is like fucking powerhouse um uh the, the dude's putting out like three articles a week and Man's World, what, four, eight times a year. Um, so the stuff these guys and then and let's not even talk about Caribbean rhythms. <clears throat> like, like 140 episodes, I think he's on 150. Uh, get the fuck out of here. Like, and it's not it's not your Joe Rogan bullshit where Joe, I mean, no offense to him. You know, he he's cool. I actually am not a hater. But when you listen to his show, it's pretty vacuous and he's kind of just rambling. He, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Bapp has 140 episodes of like rigorous fucking analysis and like everything he says is backed up by the text that he's reading, uh, you know, and then, you know, then there's Athenian who's like, why would you go to college? Why would you go to college when you have Athenian here? <laughs> That's what I want to ask. Like, he's completely, like, negating the need to fucking go to university. You just listen to his spaces, and you got it. So, anyway, I'm ending the space. Everybody, thank you so much. Thank you, man.